Awesome. Well, good morning and welcome to Community Bible Church. Come on in and grab a seat. We're going to start our services together this morning. So glad to have you all with us as we worship the Lord together in song, open his word together, be encouraged by one another in fellowship, and have some bagels. So I'm excited about that. <clears throat> We're going to start our service by singing two songs, Come Praise and Glorify is our first. If you would stand, let's stand together and sing, Come Praise and Glorify.
We had fallen from righteousness, but not from the mercies of Christ. It's because you sent God the Son to be our righteousness, and because as the Lamb of God, He was slain on the cross for us, that we have a relationship with you. You have changed our position from separated from you to being in your family as your children, co-heirs with Christ with an inheritance that can never be taken away. So we cannot but praise you with our lips and with our lives. We're here to sing to you with hearts that overflow with gratitude, to learn of you from your word, to give back to you a portion of what you have entrusted to us. Lord, this is our feeble attempt to worship, but we desire that you be pleased with all that we do this morning because it is for you and it's because of you that we are here. We pray and ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I'll say again, welcome this morning to worship at CBC. We're glad that you could be here with us this morning to worship the Lord together. Especially want to welcome you if you're our guest here today. We're glad that you could be with us, and we'd like to make it simple for you to learn about CBC, get to know us, 
And so we've created what we call a connection form. And if you text the word CBC Connect to the number 97000, you'll get a link back and it'll give you some shortcuts to some of the things I'm going to say in announcements this morning. It will also give you a link to our connection card and you can use that to check some boxes to let us know what you'd like to know more about or even just type in the open space there what questions you have about CBC. We'll get back to you and uh, help you get to know CBC more. So thanks for being with us this morning. I'd also like to say if you're our guest with us this morning um, and you've never done this before, stop by our welcome desk, which is just out in our cafe community area. Let them know you're our guest today and they have a gift to give you to say, it's just our little way of saying thank you for being with us this morning and uh, again, welcome. And uh, we want to take a couple moments now at this part of our service and recognize that uh, as God's people, blessed by him, all that we have comes from him. And so we're going to take a few uh, moments now to collect our morning offering. And uh, those of you who I just welcomed as guests, this is not a time to, uh, ha, we got you here, now we're going to ask you for money. That's not what we're doing here. This is something that we do as a church family because we've joined together for the purpose of ministry. Um, so as the men come forward to collect the offering, I'll remind you, you can as well give online at cbctrenton.com or in our church center app, and may the Lord bless you as you give. And then while the men are collecting the offering, I'm going to, like I did last week, go through some, uh, some announcements that we have this morning. I'm not going to go through everything that's coming up at CBC. We're heading into the fall, and so it's getting pretty busy around here. So you can see all of the details of all that's going on at CBC on our website, on the church calendar there, cbctrenton.com, as well as in our church center app. And uh, I want to highlight a couple things that need your attention because they require you to do something in advance, like sign up. Our Crossroads group has an activity tonight that's a bonfire at the banks at 6 p.m. And uh, it's probably not too late to sign up for that. If you haven't already, let them know you're coming. They'd love to have you for that. It's for all of our young adults, college, career age, uh, adults, singles, and uh, they look forward to seeing you there. And then next week, starting next Sunday during our second hour, we have what we call our newcomers orientation. And this is a class for anybody who wants to know more about CBC. So if you're that person that I encourage to text the, uh, the keyword to and you just want to know more about CBC, have we got an opportunity for you. For four weeks, Pastor Ken is going to take our second hour to go through who CBC is, what we believe, and why we operate like we do. So I encourage you to take that class. You can go to our website and click uh, on the logo like the one that you see on the screen there and then click the join class button so they know that you're coming. We make sure we have enough seating and a notebook for you as well. And then on August 20th, a Friday, we have the Mud Hens game coming up. And this is a fun time every year we get together and I've joked about we, you know, we get a whole section of people there and we enjoy fellowship and cutting up together and sometimes we even watch a baseball game. And it really is like that. It's a lot of fun. And I just wanted to make sure that you know that a couple of your friends came up to me before the service today. And they said they wanted me to know they're going and they wanted to make sure you're going too. So if you were wondering, are my friends going? Yes, they got their tickets already. You should make sure that you get yours. You could do that in the Church Center app, on our website, same mantra, or in the Resource Center. If you want to pay cash for those or write a check, go to the Resource Center and they can help you with that. And then we have a women's activity coming up on August 28th. They're going to go kayaking together. Space is limited for that, so you do need to register for it. And you can get the details and sign up on our website or in the app. So uh, check that out, ladies. Make sure you got the date open and reserve your space for that as well. 
And then we encourage all of our couples, uh, old, young, any couple, to consider attending our 2021 marriage retreat. That's going to be September 10th and 11th, and that's going to be at Gull Lake. And it includes Friday night uh, dinner, breakfast and lunch on Saturday, and all the sessions with Rick Thomas. And this is a great uh, retreat. It's not the first time we've done this, and I found it very beneficial and a refreshing time of fellowship with other couples. So I encourage you to sign up for that. Check it out on our website. And then our midweek program, Community Institute. It's a little ways off still, but it's going to get here sooner than you expect. September 22nd, our Wednesday night adult ed and all of our teen programs and children's program, Pioneer Club, will be starting back up. And for our adult classes, we're offering three classes. You see them listed there on the screen. Master Plan for Life, which is a two-semester course. This will be semester one. And then the Gospel of John, Dr. Combs will be teaching through, also a two-semester class. And then the last section of our systematic theology class uh, talk by Dr. Mark Snowberger, Eschatology. So those classes are on our website now. You'll see a banner that looks like that. Click on it, join the class you'd like to attend so we can make sure we plan accordingly for notebooks and seating and so forth. And then one last thing to mark your calendars for, nothing to sign up for at this point, but on September 26th, we will have our annual celebration dinner and it's a special one. This is 20 years, so we hope you'll plan to join us for that time of encouragement, sharing. We'll get a chance to share testimonies of what the Lord has done in our lives through CBC, so please mark your calendars for that. And any of these things, if you want to know more and you can't remember what I said, where to go to find it out, text the, C word, uh, the keyword CBC Connect to 9700, and it'll get you headed in the right direction. Now we want to uh, turn our attention to God's word, and we're going to have our scripture reading this morning from Philippians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowledge, Christ, of, of knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now let's stand together again and continue praising the Lord with our song.
going up here. I love being life. I love being life and I will love being death and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath and say Got one more? No, let's do, to, let's do mean, one more. Let's do it. <laughs> I like it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, each other, we're like, Ken's, Ken's running the show around here. We're out. Okay. <laughs> Looks like Paul's already out. We're going to do one more, Paul. We'll do Speak, O Lord. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to leave here? We're, okay. Um, so we have, <laughs> it's been a while since we have done a prayer song uh, where we've been seated and sang just one, one verse before we open the uh, word together. And we traditionally had done Speak, O Lord for, for, for many, many years because the lyrics are true. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word, which is exactly what we're about to do. So let's sing that together. You can stay seated. We're just going to sing the first verse of Speak, O Lord, together.
Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. You'll need a Bible to follow along. The guys are going to make their way to the back. If you need a Bible, just get their attention, and they will get one of those Bibles to you. It's marked for you at Romans chapter 1, and please keep that as our gift to you. Bring it back each week as we look at God's Word together. When I came up on the platform and I saw nobody yielding ground, <laughs> I, I thought I did something wrong for sure. So, And there are more of them than there are of me, so I wasn't going to take them on, so I just retreated quickly. Before we get into today's message, this is the time of year where some of our young people from our church are going to be heading back to, to college. One of those is Susie Castle. We've been treated to Susie's musical gifts for most of this summer while she's been home from college, but she's leaving this week to go back, and so we thank Susie for that. And I mentioned that so that you can pray for her, pray for Annie Wilson as well, heading back to a school, Jared, Jared Banks. Patrick Charbonneau is going to be going to a college also, and for a Cameron Hunter as well. Many of our young people are staying home, they're working, or they're going to college here. So if you think of it, be in prayer for our young people as the Lord develops and shapes them in these very formative years. Today begins a mini-series on the gospel that's primarily from the book of Romans. We're going to have just five messages that are on the central tenets of the gospel. Then in September, on September the 19th, we're going to begin a series through the book of Acts. I want to take a, a few weeks to rehearse the gospel, as I've done a number of times over the years, because the truth is, the gospel is central to our faith. It's central to our lives. It's central to our ministry. Apart from the gospel, none of us would be here today at church, worshiping the Christ who is central to the gospel. Apart from the gospel, we would not have the daily comfort of knowing that we've been reconciled to God, the one who we all have insulted by our sin against Him. Apart from the gospel, we would not have the confidence that the life we were made for awaits us after the travails of this life are over. And apart from the gospel, we would not have the lives of purpose that we do as we carry out His mission together, spreading the name of our Savior to those who have never been brought to Him, and expanding the fame of our Lord throughout His world. So if indeed the gospel is central to all of that and more, then it's important for us, all of us, to have a full understanding of what it is. And that's what we're going to rehearse in these next five messages together. So let's pray now and ask God to help us as we begin. Father, we thank you that we're here. As I prayed to you earlier, Lord, we are here because you have changed us. As I said just a moment ago, we would not be here were it not for the power of the gospel in our lives. And so we thank you that we are here, that we have prioritized this time to especially worship you. We worship you throughout the week in all that we do, but this is worship in the narrow sense. When God's people are together and when you are, are with us in a special way. And Lord, you tell us in your word that you are pleased when this happens. And so we're here to please you and to learn of you. And we ask you to help us then to accomplish that as we open your book before us. Clear our minds so that we're attentive. Open our hearts so that we're receptive. We pray in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Now, before I get into the outline that you should have received as you entered the auditorium today, I want to address something that I anticipate some of you may be thinking. As I talk about spending five weeks on the gospel, some of you may be saying to yourself, really? Five weeks? I can give you the gospel in, in five minutes. So why five weeks? Now, I know why we say that. Because there is a short, I guess you could say, Twitter-like version of the gospel. And this, downsi this downsized gospel is in order to ease understanding. It's a sort of shorthand that helps us communicate the gospel. But unfortunately, too many of us never go beyond that. If asked to define the gospel, most of us would cite something like the summary that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says this, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. Really, many of us wouldn't even include all three of these highlighted elements that I have there. The highlighted elements of Christ having died, that he was buried, that he was, was raised. We would just say the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, or Jesus died on the cross. Now, of course, it's true that Christ died for our sins, as this passage says, but it also includes that he was buried and raised, and we don't often say anything about those. We focus strictly on his death. Although, as I said, there are understandable reasons that we use this kind of condensed version of the Bible, not least that it's in a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, we need to recognize that that passage is, in fact, a summary. It is not a detailed definition of what the gospel entails. Now, how is it that I know that? Well, if you wanted to point to one book in the entire Bible that explains the gospel, you could do no better than the book of Romans. It's about the gospel. In fact, it's 16 chapters worth all about the gospel. It starts with the gospel, it ends with the gospel, and in between it's about the gospel. And I've asked you to turn to the beginning and look with me at chapter 1 and verse 1. And here, the same person who wrote what is on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that this book of Romans is about the gospel too. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, notice this phrase, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And then if you look down in verse 15, Paul says, I am so eager to preach the gospel 
to you who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Verse 17, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's all at the very beginning of Romans. And then at the end, in the very last chapter, chapter 16, you have a kind of bookend to what it says in the first few verses of this book. And notice how familiar this sounds to what we read in verses 1 through 5. Chapter 16 says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to obe the obedience that comes from faith. That's the same phrase as in chapter 1 and verse 5. The obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So at the beginning and at the end, the gospel, and then right in the middle of the book, you have another summary of the gospel that goes well beyond merely that Christ died, was buried, and was raised. In chapter 8 and verse 30, Romans says this, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All of this, all of those things in that verse are attached to the gospel. We were predestined in eternity past to hear and receive the gospel. So then we were called to the Lord at a point in time when we heard the gospel. And then having responded, we were justified at that very moment, which is what the gospel accomplishes. And because of all of that, we will be guaranteed glorified. We will persevere. We will make it home. So what all is involved with the gospel? Well, it's more than just believing that Christ died, was buried, and that he raised. That's a quick summary, but Merely believing those facts, friends, does not save anyone. Merely believing those facts does not save anyone. Hear this. The devils believe all of that. And they are not saved. In fact, if we go back to that famous summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to point out a couple of things. It says there again, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Now notice, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Unfortunately, we've told people that if you believe that three things happen, Jesus died, was buried, and was raised, you're going to heaven. Yet I have baptized people who vowed before God and witnesses present at the baptism that they believe those things. I even ask each baptismal candidate just before they're baptized, and of course before they ever get in the baptismal tank, I've asked them about this as well. And I say, do you promise to follow Christ in obedience all the days of your life? And all of them answer yes. And then later, some of them drift away. Now, why? Verse 2 says, it's because they did not hold firmly. They believed in vain. 
That is, to put it another way, they were never born again. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say, as we saw a bit ago, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died. Now notice why he died. He died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he was raised. Now notice it explains why Christ died, but it doesn't say why he rose. Well, the reason for that is the entire rest of the chapter in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's 58 verses long, but that entire chapter is about the resurrection. So you get a very detailed explanation in what follows. In Romans, it explains the reason for the resurrection also, succinctly. It says this, He, Christ, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life, notice why, for our justification. So if we're going to understand the gospel about the death and the burial and the resurrection, then we need to know, yes, he died for our sins and he was raised for our justification. That means I need to know something about what that is. <laughs> what does that justification accomplish? He died for our sins. Paul mentions that he was buried as proof that he actually died. And he was raised from the dead before our justification. All of that is an improved version of our typical shorthand gospel, but the book of Romans provides the fullest answer possible, and we're going to see that answer over the next few weeks. Now, each week we provide an outline for you. You should have received that as you entered the auditorium, and first I want to look at what the gospel is, four points worth, and first of all I say the gospel is for everyone. Romans teaches that in the very first chapter, in verse 16. It says, the gospel brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now it says everyone, and then mentions two categories into which everyone fits, Jew and Gentile. Every person is one or the other. And then as you move through the book of Romans, you see that both groups, Jews and Gentiles, are addressed. Now it says there, first to the Jew, because of the announcement of a coming Messiah, back in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, was brought through Jews and written to Jews. Israel was a Jewish nation, and the prophets who spoke for God were Jewish people. And so that's why in chapter 3, it talks about all of the advantages the Jews have with regard to the gospel. Here's what it says. What advantage is there in being a Jew? The Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles, everyone of whatever ethnicity, and all of those people, all of us, fit into one of those two categories. And we fit into one of two additional categories that I have in your outline. First of all, the gospel, yes, is for everyone, and it is first for the unsaved. That is, it's for unsaved Jews and Gentiles. It's for everyone who has not personally responded to the gospel message and so have been rescued, been delivered. That's what the word saved means. Saved, delivered, rescued from the consequences of sin for which the gospel is the only solution. You see this in the way that Romans is formatted, the way, it's, the way it's laid out. 
the passages in these 16 chapters are not haphazard, but they're logically connected to each other as Paul sets forth an argument. He's making an argument, really. You know, we use the word argument, it's kind of a hostile encounter. No, an argument is just a logical presentation of something. And so here's Paul laying out this logical presentation of the gospel. Notice the logical connections that are made. Verse 16 begins with the word for. Do you see that? Meaning, because. It's saying that Paul's pride in the gospel. When he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed, the reason why he's so eager to preach the gospel in Rome that verse 15 says is for because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So I want to preach it and here's why. And the reason he's so taken with the gospel is, it says in verse 16, because, verse 16, the gospel brings God's power for everyone who believes. And then verse 17 has another explanation starting with the word for, again, meaning because, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is, the righteousness of God is made known. But then that logical flow continues after that. If you look at verse 18, it starts with the words, the wrath of God in the New International Version. That's the version that most of you have. That's what I'm preaching from. That's the version that the guys gave out just a bit ago. And it starts in verse 18, the wrath of God. But in nearly every other version, it starts with the word for. For, because the wrath of God is being displayed, revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, why the translators of the NIV left out the word for in verse 18, I don't know. Virtually no one else did that. And the truth is in the Greek the word for, the Greek word for, the word for is actually there. So you should read that, for the wrath of God, because the wrath of God. And so the logic continues on through chapter 3 in order to show that every person fits in the sinful category. And that's why the gospel is for everybody. Sin is the universal problem, and the gospel is the universal solution. Next week, the message is going to be on the first tenet of the gospel. Namely, it has to start with the bad news before you get to the good news. It's the bad news of how deep our sin is and how hopeless and helpless our condition is that makes the good news of the gospel so wonderful. So the gospel is for everyone. That is, it's for the unsaved and it's for the saved. Now, if you take the shorthand version of the gospel as the sum total of what the gospel is, then the idea that the gospel would have any relevance for saved people, for Christian people, seems strange. But look at verse 7 in chapter 1. This treatise on the gospel is written to, it says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. It's clearly describing already Christian people to whom this letter was originally written. And then verse 15 says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So you've got already Christian people, and Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you all. 
That's because the good news contained in this book does not end when you get saved. So friends, lose the idea. Lose the idea that all that matters in your Christian life is that one day you prayed a prayer sometime in the past. You sort of signed your insurance card, fire insurance as it were, and so now we're good to go. And yeah, I want to hang around with good people, and so yes, I show up at church. They're really nice folks. But in terms of it actually changing my life and actually being something that I rehearse in my mind and in my heart and then apply in the way I go about my life, too many Christians are simply saying, I took care of that a long time ago, and now I'm doing my own thing. The, go the good news of the gospel contained in the book of Romans does not end when you get saved. Instead, there's instruction about how to live in light of this new relationship that we have with God because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so the gospel, as we do an overview of the book of Romans, the first thing I want you to get is the gospel is for everyone, it's telling us. Second, the gospel is from God. Here's a key to understanding the case that's being made in the book of Romans. Look again, please, at verse 17 of chapter 1. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That, coupled with verse 16, just before it, sets the theme of the entire book. And the theme is that the righteousness is, or excuse me, the gospel is a righteousness of God. Verse 17, the righteousness of God. And the reason that God's righteousness is needed is because you and I don't have any of our own. As I said, chapters 1 through 3 are dedicated to showing that every human being, Jew or Gentile, religious or not, is a sinner, and we have no way to meet God's righteous standard. And we saw chapter 1 and verse 18 that says, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then the next two chapters show that it includes everyone, Jew and Gentile, and then it comes to a conclusion about that, how bad it is for everybody such that we need a righteousness from God because we don't have any of our own. It comes to a conclusion in chapter 3 and verse 9. It says this, what shall we conclude then? Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, after those three chapters of dark and sobering truth about our sinful condition, that section ends in chapter 3 with this. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one. Now, you say, well, and some people say this. Roman Catholics certainly say this. Well, it's saying the works of the law. It's not saying works. In other words, you can be righteous in God's sight by your works. It's just not by the works of the law. 
Well, nice try. But here's the thing, friends. Just think from the greater to the lesser. Has there ever been a list of rules that reflected righteousness better than God's law? If you can't be, if you can't be righteous for, before God by keeping that law, then how are you going to come up with some other list of works, some other ladder for you to climb that is going to justify you before him? Further, the next chapter, as we will see in a few weeks, chapter 4, centers upon us being justified, declared righteous before God, and it uses the illustration of Abraham, and Abraham lived before the law. So Paul is using what they're most familiar with, the law, but he's saying no one's going to be declared righteous in God's sight by works. Why? Because we're not capable of those righteous works. It's saying that humanity is so thoroughly sinful, there is no way for us to be righteous before God. So when you get to chapter 3 and verse 20, you're doing glum on the old cartoon Gulliver's Travels. Some of you are old enough remember we're doomed we'll never make it and if it's left there we are doomed but here's what I want you to see in chapter 1 in verse 17 it says in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed then it goes for two and a half chapters to show our sinfulness but thanks be to God it doesn't leave it there but in fact, after doing that, it comes back to what chapter 1 and verse 17 says about the righteousness of God. This is so important that I'm going to have you flip the page, a page or two, to chapter 3. And look at verse 21. After all of that, for how bad it is, and no one is righteous, not even one. Verse 21 says, but now. Let me just stop there. Praise God that there's a contrast. That's what that's saying. But now, in contrast to all of this dark and gloom and sobering truth about our hopeless and helpless condition, but now, apart from the law, and that's wonderful news because, remember, nobody's going to be declared righteous before God by the works of the law or any works. So now, apart from that, and here's that phrase, the righteousness of God. That's connected all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 17. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's saying that God gave a list of rules to keep in his law. And in fact, anyone who could keep God's law would be righteous. But of course, no one did except Jesus Christ. No one. So you need something outside of yourself. And that is what God provides that you and I don't have. A righteousness of God or a righteousness from God. We need God's righteousness. That's what we need, God's righteousness, because we do not have it ourselves. Even the great Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, says of himself elsewhere in the Bible that he is not good enough. Even though he was as religious as one could possibly be prior to coming to Christ. As Pastor Larry read earlier in the service, 
Paul says this about himself. If someone thinks they have reasons, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was as meticulous as a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Whatever God wanted me to do, and I was convinced he wanted me to do, I was willing to do it. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If anyone could have been righteous before God by keeping the rules that God gave in the law, it was Saul of Tarsus, Paul. But he says he now realizes that his old religious life was worthless. We're going to see that in a moment. But let me just say to you, church-going friend, your religious life is not your righteousness. Your church attendance is not your righteousness. Your works and your services and your good deeds are not your righteousness. Your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ from God and if you believe that you will stand before God someday and He will allow you into His heaven because you have been a good person, the gospel has news for you. The reason that righteousness from God is necessary is because you're not a good person, no matter how religious you are. And so Paul goes on to say this, I consider them garbage. My religious stuff, all of that observance, got me no closer to God. There's an infinite gulf between an infinitely holy God and completely sinful people like us. I consider them garbage. I had to put that away. I had to remove my reliance and my trust from being on that stuff so that I may gain Christ. He goes on to say, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. You see again here, it's the righteousness of God, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I need a righteousness from outside of myself. I need the righteousness that comes from God because as religious as I was, it was worthless because I cannot attain the righteousness that God requires. Now, as we'll be reminded in this series, God has graciously provided what we need in Jesus Christ who lived the perfect righteous life that we were made to live and He gives that to us. Not, friends, when we do something but rather when we believe something. That's why back in chapter 1 and verse 17 of Romans, it says it is by faith from first to last the just will live by faith. And then Paul says here that it's a righteousness that comes from God, Philippians 3, and is on the basis of faith. That is the word believing. It's not you do something, you believe something. That's what faith is. If we truly believe who Jesus is, God, come as man, 
and we truly believe what Jesus has done, lived the life that we were made to live, and he died the death that we deserve, then we have a new position before God, whereby he no longer looks at us through our sin, but instead through the righteous, perfect righteousness of Jesus. So that we have perfect standing before him. We'll see more about that later in this series. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is from God. And the gospel is for eternity. Now what I mean by that is that the gospel's benefits begin when we believe in Christ truly believe in Christ, but they then continue until we find ourselves in the presence of God after we die or He returns. Remember that passage in Romans 8 that I displayed earlier. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. I've explained this before, but these four things, predestined, called, justified, glorified, They're referred to as the unbroken chain of the gospel. Because the way that's written, it means that there's a linkage between the first and the second, between predestined and called, and then between the second and the third, between called and justified, and then the third and fourth, the justified and the glorified. That is, those who are predestined are also all of them called. And those who are called are also, every one of them, justified. And those justified are also, every last one, glorified. No one who is predestinated by God to come to Him will fail to make it all the way through to glorification, which is being in heaven when we have our glorified bodies and we are with our glorified Lord. So the gospel is for eternity, guaranteed, beginning to end, eternity past to eternity future. And so in the midst of Romans in chapter 6, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now at the beginning of today's message, we saw that some people say they believe but do not truly believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says He is, Lord and Master. Because if they did, they would do what 1 Corinthians 15 says, they would hold firmly. If they do not hold firmly, then they believe something else about Christ, but not that He is Lord. That's why it's saying, if you just believe these facts, that He died and He was buried and He was raised, but there's no change in you, then you've believed in vain. So how does the gospel ensure that one who believes in Jesus does indeed hold firmly? Well, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is from God. It is for eternity. And it's also for time. For time. That is. The gospel is not only about getting to heaven, but the gospel is about how we live now. It's not just about eternity, but it's about time before eternity. 
That's what I mean when I say it's four times. And so having changed our position graciously, and we are amazed and we are eternally thankful for what God has done for us, and having made an internal change within us, so that Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 talk about the work of the Holy Spirit now making a difference in our lives when we come to Him truly believing who He is and what He has done. And now we desire gladly to live for Him. So I ask you, friend, do you desire to gladly live for Him? Or do you have to be dragged along? A lot of brothers and sisters here, known most of you for a very long time. Some of you are newer. I thank God for you. I thank God for your testimonies. I thank God for your lives. I thank God for your, for your desire to please Him. That's representative of our church. Thanks be to God. But it's not representative of everybody. I've been in ministry a long time. I'm 59 now. I've been in church literally my entire life. And I have seen people who have to be dragged along in the Lord's work. I've seen people who have to be corralled and say, hey, slow down. <laughs> they want to do so much for the Lord. And then there are people you have to drag along. Give me the person you have to corral a thousand times every day. Why should we have to be dragged along to serve the Lord. Sometimes I'm, I'm asked, hey, we need some people to serve in X capacity in our church. Will you make an announcement? Sunday morning, make a public announcement. We need people to do X. And my answer is usually, nah. And you know why? For 20 years at this church, I have sought to avoid setting the mindset that we beg anybody to serve Jesus. Why? It's beneath him. It's beneath his dignity. He's our God. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our savior. And so in the time that he gives to me, in the time that he gives to you, we say, where do I sign up? Jesus in order to spread your fame, in order to bring glory to your name. We don't do any of that to gain heaven, but rather we live differently because we've been given heaven as our promised future home. And that's why this book of Romans that's about the gospel gives instruction about how we are to live now. We don't live differently to gain God's favor, but we live differently because God has given us his favor in Jesus Christ. And that practical instruction starts in chapter 6, it goes through chapter 8, and then it picks up again in chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, many of you know this verse, Romans 12 and verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of his manifold mercies to you that I've just laid out for you, in Jesus Christ. Now present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. 
those who have been blessed by the gospel have also been, Romans teaches, changed by the gospel. And that change becomes obvious in the way we live. And if there has been no change, then there has been no salvation. But the beauty is what I say in your take-home truth. The good news from God is for everyone, forever. Now, we're going to pray as we do at the end of each message. And often I give an opportunity for folks to then respond to the gospel. And in a shorthand version of the gospel, we say that this is what you need to do. You need to realize that you fit into the category that those first three chapters of Romans are speaking of. Realize that you are a sinner. Realize that you have no spiritual religious resume to present to God when you stand before him. If the apostle Paul didn't have it, you don't have it. You can be sure. So realize that you're a sinner. And then recognize that Christ died for your sins. But that death was only acceptable to God because it was preceded by the absolutely perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ. So it's not just that Jesus died for you, Jesus lived for you. And because he lived for you, now his death was acceptable to God the Father. And the reasons Romans 4 verse 25 says... He was raised for our justification is this. Because God the Father looked over the totality of the ministry of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His life from his perfect virgin conception all the way to his sacrifice on the cross. And everything in between. And all of it was righteousness. And because of that, God the Father was pleased to approve of him all that he did by raising him from the dead. His resurrection from the dead is God the Father's approval of his entire life and death. So recognize Christ died for you, but understand that death is only effective because he lived for you. And it's your righteousness that comes from his resurrection, that approval from God the Father. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for all your sin, past, present, and future. So what do you do with that? Well, you can do what a lot of people do, and you can say, okay, hey, cool, sign me up. I'll even have the date that I did it, I'll put it in the front of my Bible, and then I'll go on pursuing my own agenda. Uh-uh. Because the one before whom you come and receive his gift of righteousness and pardon for sin... That one is your Savior, yes, rescuing you, saving you, thus the name Savior, but he's also the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your master. And so the third thing you do is you repent of your sin. Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I'm going to go your way, not my way. You hear me say that often. So realize that you're a sinner, hopeless and helpless before God. Recognize that he lived and died for you. Repent, Lord, here's my life. How can I live for you? I'm going to go your way, not my way. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. We're going to bow and pray. And as we do, from your heart to God, if you, friends, some of you have believed in vain, have not held firmly, you have to be dragged along. 
If that's true of you, you can be saved, you can be regenerated now by trusting in the person and work of Jesus. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to gather, creating in us a desire to gather. Most of us are here because you indeed have changed us. We want to come together and we want to please you by singing praise to you, giving back to you, learning of you, changing to be in accord with your character. And yet, Lord, we can attend church, we can be religious as the Apostle Paul was and not have Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that the gospel is your gift to us and that gift to us includes changing us. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to move upon the hearts of any here who have not held firmly, who have believed in, in vain. Draw them to yourself as only you can in the power of the good news of the gospel. And Lord, for those of us who have come to you, continue to do your work in us, conforming us to the image of your dear Son. And use everything that we are and everything we have to bring glory to him because he is fully worthy. May we be people who do not need to be dragged along in order to serve you, but joyfully say, where do I enlist? And Lord, individually help us to do that as a people collectively as your church. May we do that. And thus be a beacon, a light in darkness to a world that fits the description of Romans chapters 1 through 3 and is helpless and hopeless outside of Jesus Christ. May we be that beacon. May we be the lifeboat, the message that they so desperately need. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing song. Well, that concludes our first hour. Our second hour begins at 11.15. In the meantime, we do have uh, refreshments, uh, coffee and bagels, and a time of fellowship. Please use it well. We'll see you back here for second hour at 11.15.